welcome back, and here we go for another episode of FileMaker Talk. Oh yeah, uh-huh. oh yeah, uh-huh. You know, that theme song never fails to make me happy, sir. Boom. Yeah, if we let it go for the whole time, it would be uh, it would be a lot. It's too much. But the beginning of it means that I get to talk to my good friend, Dr. Petrovskaya, yet again. And I get to talk to my friend, Matt Navar, the second part of Squared. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. The the Matt Squared. We we, uh, haven't been talking as recently as we wanted to as much. I think we our usual every other week schedule just fell off and, you know, life happens. Yeah. But now we have no excuse because, you know, COVID, we have time. Yeah, and now home. this came up. It's like, yeah. whooshing. Of course, that means your kids aren't in school either, so. No, in fact, if anybody hears any barking dogs or any kids, fortunately, the video games they're playing right now are uh, keeping their attention. Yeah. But they're also using my bandwidth. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have no... My cat doesn't use bandwidth, play video games, or bark, so. <laughs> That's a positive thing. Go get a cat. <laughs> they won't use your bandwidth. He does other things that are, you know, not pleasing all the time. <laughs> oh, like, man. So, FileMaker. Obviously, FileMaker. COVID hasn't killed off FileMaker. Sorry, that could be a bad joke. I didn't mean that to come out that way, but uh, yeah, too FileMaker. Soon. <laughs> We're talking about FileMaker. Come on, folks. Yeah, you got to keep it lighthearted, too. I know. It's actually, it's interesting. It has a, a significant response on all of the consulting companies that I've talked to. All of us have experienced a sales drop, some huge, 60 80%, and some smaller. None of them have gotten more sales as a result of it now that, that I've talked to. That is interesting. I, I know that, obviously, your affected industries, if you had somebody that was running a nursery, and now nobody's going out to buy trees, then they don't, they're going to say, we need to cut on our spending for that. But mm-hmm. tech, the tech needs, especially in the healthcare industry, is going to pick up somewhere. Well, not if you're uh, uh, there's there's no medical stuff going on for elective surgeries right now. True. So, like dentist office are closed. Um, a lot of other doctors are closed. They're just you know, and so many whole sec- so whole segments of the industry, restaurants, bars. And then all of uh, there's so many other aspects of it that are really really big. So it's it, <clears throat> and as a consulting company, some percentage of your customers are going to be in some industry affected, arts or whatever, inevitably uh, yes, or connected to those industries, and so their sales will be down. Uh, anyway, uh, but then there's I don't know as a as a business owner, I'm looking at the PPP, the payroll protection loan thing. Which is a forgivable loan? I've seen, I've seen a couple of those things posted on a couple of the Slack groups that I'm on. Yeah, you dropped out on yeah. me too. It's yeah. those kids yeah. on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it'll happen. So, but let's not talk about that because there's nothing we can do about it. Let's talk about cool FileMaker technology and things like Claris Connect, which we haven't talked about yet. Yes, you were mentioning that, and while that's not exactly. FileMaker per se, it factors into the FileMaker space because they've got their own connectors, right? Definitely. And those are easy to connect into really a FileMaker easy. server, right? Definitely. I have a video that I made 
that shows how you can connect FileMaker to Slack in five minutes. Nice. Using Claris Connect. Okay. I'm, um, I'm, I'm the guy that has to be sold, too. I wasn't on the beta, and I haven't actually used it, although when it comes to all of the uh, interconnections, I have used Zapier. I have also used If This Then That, and I have also yep. used uh, Node-RED in order to do my own connections via APIs. Mm-hmm. I've used Zapier. Other people at the company have used other ways to do it and raw webhooks ways of doing it. And all of them can be done, and all of them have... I think it's a pro-con kind of a thing. But I'll just start. Here's the positioning statement, I think, the, 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 the business case for Claris Connect. Um, if you have a business and what you really want to be able to do is connect a really interesting flow where you put all of the logic in a really, really easy-to-program space, kind of like what programming was in FileMaker 10, 15, 20 years ago, um, just dead simple. Open up a script, make a connection, connect this table to that table, make a layout, blah, blah, blah. Things that, things that we, we just take for granted because we do them in our sleep now. Um, but the things you want to connect are FileMaker, like a, a record in a FileMaker database, uh, a connection in your email marketing tool, Slack, and Google Calendar, and maybe QuickBooks. And you want to have some interesting thing happen to do that? Like that project that I just laid out, if we were to hire you to do it, I'm sure it would be 20, 30, 40 hours. There's a lot of complexity, especially in a few of those like QuickBooks oh, yeah. and Google Calendar. I mean, totally. Right. That's... So Claris Connect is dead simple to connect to those things, and especially when you're connecting to FileMaker. So, I mean, so, for, for those of you that in the audience that are listening and maybe I don't know where you are in your journey... Um, from my background, I've worked with FileMaker for over 20 years now. Basically what this is, is they would, they would call this glue software. It's where you are gluing two different systems together and creating mm-hmm. a bridge. And all that these services are, Zapier, If This Then That, uh, Claris Connect now, they're simply abstracting the process of you having to be the glue maker in order to create the glue that brings everything together. They've made mm-hmm. everything in terms of gluing two different systems together, point and click. And so they're abstracting the fact that if you wanted to do this yourself, you would have to go out, and if there's five different systems you want to interconnect, you'd have to learn five distinctly different systems. But if you go to If This and That, Claris Connect, or Mm -hmm. Zapier, Zapier, you're learning one system, and then they are facilitating the brokerage of the API calls. Right. And so if you had, let's say that you wanted... uh, if you posted a Slack channel and you wanted to create a record in FileMaker or to have that, have that Slack run a script to look up some data in FileMaker and then give you a result and then put that result back in Slack. Um, like, for example, go to a Slack channel for a client and type something like FileMaker current invoice or something like that. Right. Um, and have Claris Connect read that, do something with it, go create or look up an invoice in FileMaker, come back with some text results of, from, from variables, and then post the current invoice amount of the most recent invoice for that customer to a Slack channel. That would be, re- that would be very, very difficult to do in Zapier. Because Zapier doesn't have an easy way to reach 
um, to re read and then post data to FileMaker. So if you're connecting FileMaker to those things, Claris Connect has a really, really good um, way to do that, I think. I mean, I was shocked how easy it was. I mean, obviously, if they've got their, if they're going to program against their own technology, of course, they're, they're inside you know, any of your inputs <laughs> and outputs from any service, those are they're going to facilitate the connections that will wire things up so that it flows well into FileMaker. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that some of the demos that they showed didn't connect FileMaker at all. It was connecting two different things. And I, I thought to myself, yeah, why wouldn't I just do that in Zapier? So you bring up a point, though. Um, uh, I don't know if you did it on this call or maybe before no, we started it was, about it was the No, when we were talking before we, before we hit the record button. I, yeah. From me not having used it before, the one thing that I've heard out in the rumor mill or the you know mm -hmm. out in the market is it's gosh dang expensive. It's it's expensive. I mean, they're they're it's almost month. like they're trying. If you're going to be paying an ongoing cost for your business, you sort of have to, from a business standpoint, say, okay, if I hired a developer to do this and they put it in place. Once that system is in place and pretty much working, needing to make modifications to that does not change that much. And I'll give you a good example. Mm -hmm. I've been using Authorize.net for well over 10 years. Something that I programmed all the way back in 2008 or 2006 is still functioning today, working XML, mm -hmm. using XML as a standard. They do, they migrated from XML to JavaScript but they do not just drop XML. They have taken away features, and they suggest that everybody move, but it still functions and it still works. My time investment, and if it was a financial investment, it stopped at the point where it was functioning, and then I no longer needed to do anything else. Yeah, I get that. I think this is different, though. This is much more like FileMaker than it is like Authorize.net for like a, a, a black box function for processing credit cards. Oh, well, like, true. The yeah, only change you, you might have made would be like, oh, at some point the, the, the feature came along that you wanted to be able to do recurring charges automatically, for example. And so you had to build that in. But like in my example that I laid out of having FileMaker and um, like Google Calendar and Slack and a couple of other things all connected, that chain is going to be more involved. Oh, I, I, there is absolutely no doubt that learning the number of APIs that you would need to learn in order to connect anything more than uh, two services, two, I mean, even, even three would right. be getting difficult unless you're really comfortable and familiar with getting in and taking apart APIs. Yeah, well, even, even just connecting to one, what's beautiful about it is when you connect, let's say you connect to FileMaker and you get data, uh, you call a script in FileMaker, and you actually the one thing you do have to do is you have to have a script um, set uh, some JSON because everything inside of Claris Connect is JSON. So then when that comes back, Claris Connect will show you the exact JSON you get from FileMaker. And then if you do something like, say, post to a Slack channel, um, it will give you a list of all the Slack channels in your Slack account. And then it will give you the variables from FileMaker, and you can say, set this channel to be this thing. And then you also have a variable tool in Claris Connect, just like setting a variable in FileMaker. Yeah. And a bunch of other types of tools like that are just basic internal calculator type things. Um, and same for each of the platforms you're working on. You get, you're getting a list of all of the things that they can either ingest or spit out. 
uh, and then each tool can do a set of them. Right now, the, the tools are uh, you know somewhat limited, but they're still it's pretty cool. But the the real case of it is, if you're doing something that's complex enough that it would take 20 hours for a developer to do um, at whatever hourly rate, but you could do the same thing in Claris Connect for an hour, three hours, five hours, then you're getting a huge savings of, of development cost to then offset the fact that it costs you 99 bucks a month for the basic or 250 a month for the advanced uh, for Claris Connect. Gotcha. Uh, no, yeah, I'm not going to totally... comment on those prices. I had nothing to do with setting them or anything like that. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some customers who are going to think it's a great value. Um, I think other customers are going to think it's definitely too high for what they're trying to do, and, and they would rather pay a developer uh, more money to, to do it the traditional route. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it, yeah, you have to look at all of the all of the different things when it comes to managing any type of technology. Um, mm -hmm. If you don't have the IT uh, or the smarts yourself in order to do it, then yes, having somebody else manage and maintain a technical system is way worth it. Um, number two, I, I think if, even I, if you do, I mean, if if a client came to me. If they came to us at AppWorks oh, and said, this is what we want to do, we'll be talking on top of each other. I think you cut out. Yeah, but it cleared up. Okay. So, if, like, if a customer came to me and they said they want to do this thing, I would I would estimate the hours with Claris Connect and with Zapier, and I would take a look at the total money. You know, I would amortize the cost over the time that they want the solution to run, one or two years or whatever. A lot of those cases, Claris Connect is going to be a better value. And and to the point that I see, whenever I come in and I'm saying, oh, hey, I can just connect this myself by accessing the API and I'll install Node-RED. That's free open source. Mm -hmm. The technical know-how must be available and within a price range. For example, mm -hmm. you may be able to find a junior developer but if you came to me, I'm going to charge you rates that are going to be higher than what a junior developer is going to get paid. And they're going to mm -hmm. have to learn as they go along. And there yeah. are parts of the process that are an absolute pain. Yeah. The authentication process can vary from provider to provider depending on the API. So how you authenticate with QuickBooks is going to be totally different than maybe how, not totally, but right. uh, different than how you uh, authenticate with Slack. I mean, some of them will be mm -hmm. token-based. Uh, it's just, there's a couple of, there's, I think, three primary ways that I know of that you can authenticate through web technologies. And your developer needs to know them all. And plus, they have to surf through the documentation in order to do whatever you want to do through the API. So, yeah, there's a there's a cost. And so when I'm talking and I'm saying, oh, yeah, I would just do that myself, that's because I enjoy the challenge. I like going out and solving that problem because I like adding to my bank of knowledge. But <laughs> de definitely it will not suit everybody. It is definitely easier if it's already been done for you you take advantage of leverage and you just use it. You just have to realize you're going to be paying for as long as you're invested in that technology or in that system. And number two, it's also very hard to move off of invested infrastructure. You, you once your mm -hmm. once your system is working and you have Claris Connect deeply entrenched into your systems, getting out of that, I'm sorry, that's that just doesn't happen in the in the world of business it takes well i think that's why time. filemaker has is so successful in a lot of ways because like for so many customers that we have once they get it and they yep. start 
at, they start customizing it to their needs and they grow their database in the direction that their business grows and they carve out this beautiful niche that has, helps them be successful. Not only, I think it's actually a, a positive cycle. You know, the customers are actually successful because they have FileMaker. That is that is exactly the reason and, why I think and FileMaker why would they stuck get around. Rid of it? Yeah. FileMaker has stuck around because it is a technology investment into infrastructure. And infrastructure just it's like a rock once it's in place. Trying to yep. switch it. I've heard so many stories. Oh yeah, they spent three million dollars trying to switch to PeopleSoft, but they keep yep. using our FileMaker database. Uh, yeah. That's happened to a few of my clients. Yeah. Yeah, in I, fact, it actually even happens with FileMaker. Like if a, if a, a FileMaker customer who's using a big database that's old and awful, if they try to write a whole new one that's and start over from scratch, that has a really good chance of failing. Much much you know uh, much higher than I would like it to be anyway. Chance of of not actually becoming successful because the the customer can just give up and just keep using what they already have been using because it's working apparently just fine, even though it's all, you know, there's 47 files. and <laughs> You want to know what is so funny six. about that, too? The, the most interesting part about that that people, and I think IT departments in particular, do not think about is that the biggest reason for change not being adopted is not because the technology is any better or worse. It's because the mental investment that people have made into learning a system, they are the ones that will refuse that change. And when they refuse, no, I don't want that. I want to go back mm -hmm. to what I already know just because I took the time to learn it. So even if yeah. you make it look and work better, they will still want to stick with what they mentally know in terms of it's their true. processes. Yeah. So I, I took a, I really had some hard lessons learned over the last five or 10 years on these projects that now I take advantage of that that you thing that you just mentioned. And when I go into customers who are using systems that look awful to me, I don't try to change that stuff. I try to I, I try to do a more gradual approach and to meet that customer where they are. And if they've got screens that are that I think are ugly but they, the users are using them just fine, I let them use them. And then if there's a place I'm like, hey, if I can talk to a user and say, I can save you a bunch of time by doing X, Y, Z. Here's, let me show you a demo. Let me show this thing I did for this other customer. I, you know, then I sort of let them come to me and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I want that. I'm ready for that now, finally. Yeah. Um, I mean, they have to train anyway. their users to use new systems. I mean, it's more than just the pure technical cost yeah. and investment. So I don't, you I don't know, know if we have more on, on Claris Connect. I, I, I really do hope they come out with some other plans that are, have different pricing levels. Um, it's really new. I think its biggest problem right now is it came out just before COVID hit. So the world is, uh, in a quite inspiring way, has adapted to this craziness. It's, it's really crazy how worldwide people are now indoors working from home. Just like that. Yeah. And which actually, you know what? Uh, there's always positive and negatives to any type of situation. And when it comes to FileMaker in particular, I've thought about this recently. And you've heard me, we've talked about this in the past. And I've lamented the fact that um, FileMaker, I can't say directly it is their executive team or whoever. But they've sort of missed the boat in terms of a lot of opportunities 
in terms of getting increased adoption. But at this point in time in history, this, in my opinion, would be their best opportunity if Brad or whoever makes the call said, come get FileMaker developer, get it for free. Mm -hmm. You get that software, and then you just push hard to get as many people out there trying to create education, training. I mean, people are sitting at home, and I'm seeing an increase in number of videos that people are putting out about FileMaker. Here's how you do this. Here's how yeah. you do that. We're people doing a bunch. are stuck at home, and they're going to want to learn. They're going to need a technology, and FileMaker, compared to other technologies, is so easy to learn. This is your opportunity to get entrenched in so many different businesses that need this type of software. It's yeah. like, give your software away for free the development environment and then charge for server what you're doing. But yeah. So tell me about the videos that you're doing. Uh, you're, you're about to come out with a free video series specifically to help people learn. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about it. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck at home. My, my actual routine hasn't changed a whole lot. I'm still creating FileMaker tools. I'm still creating FileMaker content, but I know that there's more people out there. And I also want to feel like I'm part of helping the process. So I think uh, what I'm going to do is I came up with this imaginary scenario of creating a FileMaker application. And I know that in the United States, we have issues with testing. So testing is going to be a problem. So I'm going to start shooting uh, YouTube uh, series, some of them live, some of them pre-recorded, uh, just creating from like from zero, creating a COVID-19 testing application, thinking that, okay, people are going to go to a drive-in testing or drive-through testing, and they need to track these people. So the very first thing that I'm doing is you scan a driver's license and get the PDF 417 barcode off of that and parse that information into a field using FileMaker Mobile. And from there, we're going to like walk through the process of, here, add the, the swab ID and, and correlate those, and it goes sure. off to the lab and what have you. I know nothing about the process, but I imagine other people will chime in and want to mm -hmm. contribute. Cool. That sounds interesting. So it's just an opportunity to like uh, for me. I've never I had never parsed a uh, a driver's license, and I didn't even know about the standards that existed for driver's license. But I went out and within two hours, I found the document, put it together, it had a custom function that'll parse any driver's license across the United States that will uh, that follows the standards. So some have more, yeah. So some standards, some drivers' license states or whatever have more information than others. Yeah, but if they all follow this one standard, it's uh, I think it's I'd have to look at what I've got here. Uh, downloads, art design standard. What is the name of the standard? The interesting thing about anything that exists, usually somebody somewhere has defined a standard, and you just have to find the documentation that says what the standard is, and then you program your code against that. So it's mm -hmm. it's AAMVA. It's the American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators. And I know nothing about that standard because I had never dealt with licenses before, but you had to go out, do a Google search. Um, mm -hmm. I put in a California driver's license, and then I looked at the scan. So I basically used FileMaker Go, created a single mm -hmm. layout, single field, scanned my own driver's license, and then looked at what was captured. What was captured had looked like a bunch of gobbledygook initially, and I'm like, okay, this is a standard somewhere. I highlighted some of the text in there and put that text in combination with my search term of California driver's license. 
that then led me to this AAMVA, which is the Organization of the American <laughs> Association of Motor Vehicles, and then <laughs> I found their specification document. Voila, I now had the key to the kingdom for a license, and I was able to just go through and parse exactly to their specs and rip all of that data out and then come to find out it doesn't just work for American driver or for California driver's licenses, it works for any of the states. They have adopted cool. them, and you can find out what version people have and what information is encoded. And so I've got a custom function now that nobody else ever needs to do this again. You can just use the custom function that I'm going to put out there in the file. But I'm going to take the opportunity to teach people the process I went through in order to do it uh, so quickly. Cool. So something to do since we're stuck at home. Um, it, I, I love it. <clears throat> We've been noticing on the videos, we, I've been trying to make videos five minutes or less and for just yeah. basic things, figuring people have short attention spans like I do. <laughs> <laughs> Some people definitely like to listen to things. I mean, I listen to books that are 30 hours long. That's what, that's like, like the opposite of a short attention span, but it's, um, it's really interesting though. There are, there are, I obviously do those 30 to 40 minute videos on all of my mm -hmm. magazine videos. Yeah. But then, yes, the ideal time frame that uh, I had learned a long time ago for YouTube, the attention span was in between 5 and 10 minutes. And rarely did it go up to 15. But it's interesting, you want to know in FileMaker, one of the most popular videos with the most views is like an hour and a half long. Wow. I don't know what percentage people watch, but that's... Yeah, that's the stat, right? So what we're finding is even in a lot of our five-minute videos... People are only watching half of them. They they stop at like the two three minute mark, something like that. Yep. Um, I mean, that might be because we're we're not that good at it. That there's you know the it might be because the content is dry. It might be because it wasn't what the person was looking for. No, Who that knows? right there. It's that one. Okay. You have to know that most people, when especially when it comes to technical information, and this is what I've learned, it is not always about your content yes the presenter and the content needs to be of value but it's most uh, most of the time it's about the person matching what they're looking for and what you're providing so if they're looking yeah. for something they start a video they think it's going to be something that's going to give them what they want unless it really pulls them in they're like nope they'll hop off onto something else yeah you know it's funny as i think about like my own watching of videos on youtube if i I can be watching a TED talk or watching like a, a recording of a, a, a song I really like. And even if I totally love the song and I want to hear the whole thing, I'll sometimes stop in the middle and go on to something else, which I never ever do if I'm listening to music. I always just let it go. But if there's video content, I want to maximize my what's coming into my eyes. Yep. No, I mean, the funny thing about this is I think it was like five years ago or something. Um, a good friend, uh, a fellow FileMaker developer, Stephen Delensky, I think he was the first person that told me this, but then I found that others did it too. He said, yeah, I watch your videos every once in a while, but what I do is I immediately put it on 2X, and then when it hits a spot that I think I might be interested, then I just put it back onto normal, listen to that oh, for a while, and then funny. put it back on 2X. <laughs> so he's like listening to people, you know, people just, they want what they want to, what they're looking mm -hmm. for really quickly. And That's so smart. from that point on, I, it never really bothered me uh, if people do or don't watch. I get people that say, oh, I love how you cover content. But then I get people that say, oh, my gosh, 
I've never met a person that could belabor a topic more than you can. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, if I've got enough people that are in between those two extremes, then I'm doing okay. So, yeah, I'd say just carry on. Just keep making what you're making, and the views, the views will follow. Unless you're just an absolutely horrible presenter. <laughs> Yeah, which I you can never really know that about yourself. There's some existential philosophy there. You can really only know truths about yourself through the eyes of others. <laughs> True. And you were dropping in and out a little bit, so I'm going to be getting your audio file. Okay. What else was on our um, agenda today, sir? Um, file maker specific of what people are interested in. I don't know. Have you done anything interesting with regards to your uh, to your programming lately um <clears throat> i mean what have i done that's interesting i don't I mean, know if you're, I would say you're, that. Work, you're still working are you still working on systems that are tied to health organizations i mean aren't they yeah our, our largest project and we've been doing a ton of work on is the public health thing directly related to the covid response here in oregon yeah and so we have a lot of work on that so, I mean, aren't they, um, are they coming up with all kinds of new requests for different features or is Oh, it, yeah. 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 I figured. Different. But, I mean, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of the same stuff we've already done, different reports. So, different people want different reports or, or exports in their own format that they like. So, each county or city or whatever that wants to be able to report their data wants it in a certain way. Um, other features are, are to automate systems that worked perfectly fine to be sort of manual. And now they need to be totally automated. Um, I'll tell you this. I love JSON. Yeah. I love working with JSON and FileMaker more and more and more. And the, the, it, it keeps revealing to me more things about why it's such a great way to do it. <clears throat> but writing scripts um, that, that function kind of like as a black box where you have a script that does a thing. Maybe like, for example, it creates a record in some table. Um, or does some complex lookup, uh, or does like a, a, a deduplication match of person data or something like that, where you the script is it takes JSON, so you get here's a bunch of fields, go do your thing, you know, create a record, and then when you're done, spit back out JSON, tell me what you what you did. So I, you know, I use perform script and then get script result. Uh, that's not really a new idea. That's really kind of like object-oriented programming in a lot of ways, or just, it's, it's a very, very good um, way to do it. JSON makes that so easy to yeah. do in FileMaker. It's an, it's an awesome packager. It uh, yeah, serializes and, and it, all your data in one nice little package, and that becomes portable. You can carry it around because it's just a blob of text, but it's all, actually, everything's in its little, nice little box. I was poking around in one of the databases yesterday, and I saw some custom functions that you got me onto more than 10 years ago for, for setting variables, for using multiple variables. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and passing them between scripts. And, <laughs> and that was really wasn't even for me. That was from, uh, there was a developer that was working out of Skeleton Key, and he pretty much was the first person that made multiple parameter passing uh, while preserving, I think it preserved data type and packaged things up really nice. It was really good. Hmm. I still think FileMaker should implement their own native, and there's a way that they could do it in a real sublime way. But, I mean, granted, if you adopt a standard like JSON, then you're able to integrate so much easier. 
than yeah. having to translate anything from one to the other. Yeah, I think that's actually a far better way to do it. Um, because then when you interact with all these other platforms, <laughs> like, for example, Claris Connect, um, it's already in the same language. Yeah. I mean, it is. One of the things, one of the things I discovered, um, I guess not really that recently, is if you're using the JSON uh, uh, set function, you can actually append to an existing blob really easily. Oh, yeah. Um, I love that feature. Well, you've used the multiples, haven't you, where you, uh, like the substitute function, you can have multiple substitutions. The JSON set element works the exact same way. You can have multiple sets of those three parameters of what is the key, what is the value, what is the, the data type. Uh, do you mean like different structure inside of the, the blob, or what do you mean? I mean, if you're going to use one JSON set element uh -huh. function call... You yeah. can set an unlimited number of items in that one function call. Oh, yeah, definitely. And you can do it within an embedded format because if you use the dot notation, you can go down as many mm -hmm. levels as you want. Yeah, um, I use both of those things every day. Yeah. So, I mean, some, yeah. some developers don't know that. They, they will use multiple JSON set element uh, functions instead of just one setting multiple hmm. things. Yeah, no, so. I, I treat it kind of like a like a let or like a substitute where you put each line in exactly. square brackets. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then kind of like a let or a substitute, you have to have the semicolon only until the very last line. Then you have yeah, um, yeah. I, that's that's definitely super useful. Yep. You know, I was coming across something the other day. I'm I'm creating a tool. This a uh, clipboard manip manipulation tool in order to like. Um, it really helps with uh, development. But I was ripping it out of an existing solution where I had basically built two tools in one, but I wanted to separate them. And so I, I of course, have my tools, but I was thinking, I don't personally, I don't have a massive system. I know that, like, you work on a massive system. I know other developers like Josh Ormond works on just massive systems. I've, mm -hmm. I had a client in China who, uh, he had this massive system that does all this stuff for the whole textile industry. When it comes to cruft, you know, stuff that you know is old, mm -hmm. do you try to rip stuff out or do you just leave it in and sort of try to tag it and say, this is deprecated? Do you use a tool like FM Perception and, and try to, because I mean, it can take as much time to pull something effectively out of a solution mm -hmm. that it does to actually implement it. In our largest solutions that have a lot of developers working on it, we do use base elements and other tools to analyze what's not called anymore. So we'll, we'll prefix layouts and scripts and things like that, tables with XX or something, some prefix, that we suspect are not in use. And then we'll do some analysis and determine that they're not in use. Or we'll find like one script that calls it, and then we'll go mark that script as XX. And then periodically really clean it. Gotcha. Um, some things are easier than others. Layouts and scripts are pretty easy to clean. Um, and data tables to a degree, the graph is really hard to clean. Oh, yeah. Like when it, once the graph gets to a certain point, uh, now that it's possible to use better technologies to simplify the graph, to use card windows to centralize functions, to use filtered 
portals. Well, you certainly would never have recommended assorted relationships or anything like that. But there's there's a lot of like specialized table occurrences and togs for things that I wouldn't use that way anymore. I would develop them in without uh, using the graph. Those things are much harder to prioritize and clean. But that's uh, I don't know if that's an answer or not. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would be. Uh Everybody's got their own tool set with what they're used to, um, and it really depends on the project whether you need, uh, you know, a very large picture or a small picture. For example, I know that the distinction between FM perception base elements and um, inspector over at Beeswax, mm-hmm. um, inspector and base elements do a com- comprehensive full processing of the XML output by the DDR. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you've got a large multi-gigabyte system or multi-gigabyte uh, XML file, mm-hmm. that can take, I've heard people, you know, taking a day to process that file. Um, I've never personally been in the situation where I'm looking at a multi-gigabyte XML file, uh, but I've heard of this them. One's, yeah, this one's really large, but I think also Inspector and Base Elements have gotten much faster over time. I mean, when they first came out, I... I had systems that took definitely over one day to process. Mm. But those same systems that have gotten vastly more complex now parse with those same tools much faster because they use plugins to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the I think the tools come down to basically whatever it is that's going to suit your situation based on the file that you're working with. Mm-hmm. So. I do think it's really important to use those tools. I think they have a lot of utility and to, to help... Um, I've also very much observed that different people have different tolerances for cruft. Yes, Some of I was going to say have, it comes down to the developer. Incredibly high tolerance, <laughs> you know, where there's where there's the they're currently working on version seven, and all of the layouts for six, five, four, three, and two are also in the database, and no one has used any of them in years. But all the scripts, all the layouts, all everything, there they are. I'm like, oh god, it's just the psychic pain. And, and you know, even it, though it's... Yeah, it's almost <laughs> depressing to work on a system where you know it's, like, just got all that stuff and you just want to... If you're a, a OCD person, you're just like, I want to clean that. It needs to be, like, perfect. It needs to be, you know, how it's right. supposed to be without all this extra garbage. Right, but it's really easy for the original developer because they can just ignore it. They know exactly what to ignore. Yeah. But you don't. So that makes, yeah, you're right. It's hard to walk into those. Um, we need topics. We got to stop because we have to leave some things to talk about for next time. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can always come up with stuff. We can yeah, transition into any type of other things. I mean, if people like learning about FileMaker, we'll, we'll talk about it. Actually, if you have a topic that you want, if you're listening to this right now and you have something. Man, I wish those guys would talk about this. Even if it deals with your own personal system, we all have time in our hands. Just send it in. You can send it to Matt, M-A-T-T, at FileMakerTalk.com. And God, I hope that email doesn't bounce. (laughs) (laughs) No, you get them. Yeah. I know you do. No, I don't think it will. It's it's an alias of uh, domain alias. Yeah, I would love to hear from listeners. I know we have at least three. And last time, I think they jumped up by one, so we've probably got four. 
right. Well, until next time. Hey, we need the outro music. Oh, let's uh, push, get that ramped up here. Is that the same pu- thing? Or no, that's the different one that I play, huh? I think you have a different one. Push the button, Max. That one. That's the one, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is the one that makes me want to go into the smooth jazz voice. <laughs> Thanks for listening to KFM Radio. All FileMaker, all the time. <laughs> yeah, I've got all these little things that I can play. Maybe I should get more uh, more sound effects. 